Welcome to Yachtpo Live, featuring conversations with top D2C leaders. On September 12th at Yachtpo's conference, Destination D2C, Arian Goldman of Hatch, Rich Fulop of Brooklyn, and Justin Hughes of MM LaFleur sat down with Greg Sterling of Search Engine Land to share insider tips, industry trends, and much more. So this is going to be the second session of the day to talk about feminine hygiene and tampons. So, um, <laughs> all right, no, we're, we're, our, our session is on the brand as a destination. I'm Greg Sterling, and we heard who everybody else was kind of as you were walking in, but tell us who you are again. Sure, I'm Rich Phillip, um, co-founder and CEO of Brooklyn Inn. Hi, Ariane Goldman, uh, founder and CEO of Hatch Collection. And I'm Justin Hughes. I'm chief product officer from MM LaFleur. Okay, so we heard Tomer at the, uh, at the outset talk about how this is kind of a golden age of retailing or a very exciting time in retailing right now, which I think everybody in the room probably agrees with that proposition. But just by a show of hands, how many people feel today that brand loyalty is on the decline in general? One person, two people in the room. <laughs> Three. Okay, so that's inconsistent with what the majority of survey data say. The majority of survey data say millennials are fickle, less loyal to brands, brand loyalty is in flames for the most part. What, what's your response to this? And, and we're going we're gonna to treat this like a, like a family dinner table conversation. So anybody <laughs> says anything, talk over each other, interrupt each other, be rude, insult one another, whatever you like. Sounds sure. like my family for sure. Yeah, um, I'll grab it. Um, so I think the onus is on the brands very, very heavily these days because there's a ton of competition pretty much in every space for direct-to-consumer businesses and the barriers to entry to some categories are quite easy right now. So I think there's, you need to put a lot of emphasis on creating a brand that people desire and they want to stay, be a part of for as long as possible. And that puts pressure on the company and the brand to keep evolving, to keep innovating, to keep having like a new offering that's um, something that's enticing to the customers. I disagree that brand loyalty is wavering. I think if you have a good product and a good brand experience, then people will stick with you. It's just you have to do right by the customer, really. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, Hatch is a company for women who are pregnant, um, who can see you through your journey before, during, and after pregnancy. So the conversation and the trust uh, developed with the customer is key. And uh, because there's few people having the conversation, I think loyalty is, in, is critical to success and to actually meaning something to people, which is kind of my definition of what a brand should be. Yeah, I think for us, I mean, it's, it's no secret, like our customers, when we ask them, where they shop outside of our store it tends to be Nordstrom. I think because Nordstrom puts a, an excellent experience together for people. And for us, I, I think as a D2C brand, what we face is that uh, we've kind of like balkanized the retail industry that you know, people have to shop at multiple places now to get what they want. And so, uh, I mean, for us, we've developed over 2,000 products over the past six years. And so we were able to keep people coming back um, on top of all that. But I, I would say that our consumers aren't cynical. As you look at the younger group of customers that we have coming through, I would say they're more mission-oriented. Like they're looking for something to come out of the brand. They want you to be meaningful. They want you to be sustainable. Um, and, and really, that's what's driving them. They're looking for more social proof. Uh, and if they don't get that, I mean, they're going to move away from the brand. No, I was just raising my hand. Yeah. I often do that. <laughs> Um, so, what, what would so Justin just real briefly for the people in the room that don't know MM Lafleur, what is, what is your what is your brand? Who are you? 
Uh, M.M. LaFleur is a direct-to-consumer uh, women's fashion brand for women that are busy and purposeful. Okay, great. So I want to pick up on something you just said, um, which is the requirements of brand loyalty today. What do, what do you guys think? I mean, Justin sort of elaborated a few criteria. What would add your add your thoughts to that? Um, uh, I think following a customer um, on their journey, um, knowing what they want at certain points, and providing things that continue to keep that door open and bring them back for differentiation, um, and just letting them know that you understand what they're going through and that you're just not kind of a you're not just selling stuff. You're actually in it to kind of be their partner through uh, this moment or whatever moment they're going through. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you become the consumer's partner? Uh, well, in, in my case, it's a little different because I am obsessed with the woman um, and not necessarily getting into nursery furniture or baby clothes, but really following the woman on her journey. So um, that loyalty and that promise to sticking with her is quite different from the competition out there, like a big box retailer that might have a maternity category, but it's not their sole focus. So I think that's very clear to the customer that they have a lot of other stuff on their plate. While Hatch focuses clearly on the woman, I think I gain her trust not only through great product, but um, really evolving into community and conversation and letting her know that she can trust us, not just for a beautiful pair of pajamas, but also for a, um, a doula connection that might help her through her, uh, her choice making. How would you guys describe the personality or the sort of essential characteristics of your, of your brands? I mean, you just started to get into that a little bit, but what... What, is, what helps your brand stand out? What are the, the sort of emotional components of the brand? Yeah, I think we think about the uh, brand as a person all the time, and we want to be that nice person that you like to be around, not necessarily that annoying person or that abrasive person or anything, somebody that like, is just generally enjoyable. So I think that goes, comes across in the communication and just giving good advice. And people ask us all the time, you know, my room is this color, what do you suggest I do? I live in Minnesota and it's really cold, what do you think I should buy? And I think that's a differentiated experience from really our competition, our, the big box stores, the department stores that don't offer any kind of help or personalization or guidance on the product side. So if you really just take care of the customers and listen closely, then you can really do right by them and that's how you keep a customer for life because you keep servicing them on that level. Justin, did you want to add something about the um, personality or the characteristics of your brand? I, I think, uh, echo that, we, we try to, when we say we talk about our brand, we, we want to make it both practical and charming at the same time. That's a really tough intersection to hit, uh, especially when you don't often get to talk to people face-to-face -face in a store. Uh, but I think like a great intersection, we just opened up a jewel box in Brookfield Place uh, a little bit down the river, and it's a pit stop for women who, you know, may have spilled something on their clothes on their way in, or the office is too cold and they want to pick up a sweater, or they just want to sneak away and get a glass of rosé in the middle of the day. And so we try to both be practical and be there for a person and be a little fun too, like kind of make fun of ourselves as we go. Practical yet charming is kind of like a wine description, right? <laughs> right. And we serve a lot of wine. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rich, um, Picking up on this idea of the conversation, you know, you're talking, your 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 friendly voice, your helpful voice. How do I want you guys to talk about how does that actually practically happen? How do you engage with the customer? What channels? What is? I mean, is this email? Is this social media? Are you doing surveys? What, what is? You know, it's 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 fine to talk about these sort of lofty ideals in the abstract, but 
you know, the execution piece of this is the really hard part, I think, as Tomer was talking about at the, at the outset. Can, can you talk a little bit about that tactically? How do you engage your customers? Yeah, uh, it's every channel you mentioned, and then you know, live in our brick and mortar experience. Uh, we had a pop-up earlier this year, and we're opening a permanent store as well to really translate that because people like that experience as well. But it actually started from the very beginning of the company for us. So um, we bootstrapped the company for my wife and I co-founded the company, and we bootstrapped it for two and a half years, and we both did almost everything when we started, including customer service. And you get a lot of insight by doing customer service, and we actually bake that into our entire onboarding process. So regardless of level or department, everybody does customer service for two weeks when they start at our company. And really the philosophy behind that is regardless of your department or role, you can learn something that's applicable to your team. So you know, for example, if you're on an operations team, you might be entry level, but if you keep answering tickets or emails or phone calls that you know packages are getting lost or you know there's missed packs from the warehouse, I'm hopeful because that's what happened with me that a light bulb will go off like, hey, how can we fix this? This might be something we have to address. Marketing side, if you're on the marketing team, I want you to listen closely if you're on my team and say, hey, I heard about you from a friend. I heard about you from a podcast or from Instagram, whatever it is, and then that should like generate more ideas so we can really serve the customer and we're actually doing everything intentionally so we're, we are where the customer is. And I think it goes across the board in every department in the company. Similarly, I bootstrapped the company for the first five years and really had a chance to take the brand on the road and build it organically. And we were doing trunk shows and partnering with key influencers in market and some retailers. And um, women were spending two to three X in person that they were spending online. And it was really because of that customer interaction, which definitely informed me that brick and mortar would be part of the greater strategy for Hatch. Um, but engagement comes, honestly, you can kind of pay for it at the top, but we're also building it from the bottom grassroots of of meeting people, doing focus groups, talking to women about what is missing from their life, what more can we provide them, and then getting in front of them physically to make it more of a touch and feel experience. Um, email happens to be about 35% of our revenue, so having that conversation on a weekly basis several times a week, keeping that conversation fresh and um, not boring is, is challenging, but a real opportunity for us, so you have to be saying things that are relevant and that matter to keep them engaged. To add on to that, one of the ways we found we were a trunk show original business as well, and talking face-to-face -face was really important. But one thing is we always try to use engagement opportunities as a means to create community. Community is something that we try to foster as much as we can in the business. So if we're talking to you, chances are that somebody else in the community uh, who's buying from MM also has the same question or the same thought. And we try to turn that into an opportunity. For instance, every week we do a Women of the Week uh, where we, we take one of our customers and we tell her story and tell it to the, back to the rest of the community. Uh, or we foster uh, community groups where you can actually talk about, or dinners at our showrooms, um, so people can tell their stories and get to learn from each other. So it's not just about us and the consumer as well. How do you promote the Women of the Week uh, story? What, what, what channels do you use to do that? Uh, typically, it's through our blog. Uh, our blog is a readership of about 800,000 or so. Uh, and we've tried to build it up into its own standalone publication that's next to the business. And so it's obviously, it's a commercial opportunity for us. And we do sell our clothing through the blog. Uh, but more and more, we try to make it about practical issues, whether that's conflict in the workspace, new research that's coming out, or building the community where you can actually listen about other customers and their stories and what's going on. So, so one of the um, 
I was going to ask one of the one of the things I think that becomes more challenging over time. I mean, when you guys are having these one-on-one -on -one conversations in the beginning, or you can devote you're, you're trying to learn what the customers are interested in. There's a lot of sort of hands-on time. As the company grows, you know, you have to adopt automation or technology. It becomes harder maybe to deliver the kind of intimate experience that you're talking about. Can you can you talk about how scale has impacted this philosophy of uh, customer-centric and customer feedback? sort of thinking. Sure. Um, yeah, we have a lot of tools and solutions that have kind of evolved with the business over time. So, uh, for example, I'll start with customer service. Customer service is so critical to our business, I can't stress it enough. Um, I just want to take care of every customer and every interaction. It's really important to me personally as the CEO. Um, we can't satisfy every single person, but if somebody's going to go elsewhere, I don't want them to think that, you know, we're an asshole as a company, as a person. I wouldn't want them to think that. I just want to say, hey, it's not for me, but like, it's either too expensive or the color isn't right, whatever it is. Um, so that's really important. When you hear things all the time, uh, then it gives you an opportunity to automate and optimize on that. So we want to get in front of these questions. We have several tools, um, AI tools, that help us on the customer service side. So one of those tools um, is, does the work of a few CX reps on its own for us, and it's become very impactful to get in front of it and answer questions to people with automation on that. And then on the site side, I put a lot of pressure on our team and our e-com team because we strive for segments of one person. I, that's like the gold standard. It's really hard to do, of, of course. But You're talking about personalization. Personalization. That's like the best customer experience, and that's how you, you know, create that relationship with the brand. So if we knew that you bought this or you were on this page, you have a very high likelihood to take another action. And if we lean into the data really hard, then we can service the customer really and give them something they're likely to like, really. And we think about that all the time and the whole customer journey end to end. Anybody want to add anything on scale or technology? For me, scale, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it inside out, where when I think about growing the business, it's about people first, not necessarily tech first, in a sense. So building community is, how do I get in front of more people physically and personally? And that, to me, then translates to, uh, to, to greater revenue growth. So what, what happens when you guys screw up? Um, so, you know, customer service, being customer-centric, all of these values are very important. I think everybody in the room would agree. But how do you handle bad personalization or F-ups or some kind of bad experience that the customer has? Like, you know, maybe give us an example and, and what you did. Like the, the worst screw-up you can imagine. We make it right at all costs. Really, it doesn't matter. I, I don't want people going out to social media or on our reviews, you know, Yotpo, and just skewer us for something. It's worth the cost to have to make it right for us. Uh, a story that we tell all the time, and you know, some of our original employees are in the room and they know this as well, is um, some lady, we lost her package, it was a Christmas present, it was like an hour and a half east on Long Island, and this was like December 23rd or something, this was two years ago, and she went crazy on us that we lost her Christmas gift. So we put it in an Uber, $150 Uber, and sent it out to her. And she wrote us like this long like, essay about how we saved Christmas for her family. But that's a customer for life for us, and she has been. But it's those kind of like, little experiences that really make the difference of like, what a brand with a personality will do that the big box store or the department store uh, wouldn't do or won't do. 
Prior to starting um, Hatch, I worked at American Express for about nine years, and the card member was always right. So that was one key thing that I learned taking into my own company, that the customer is always right. So to your point, um, a lot of the, the mess-ups and the screw-ups come internally, just kind of building a team and growing a team and, and, and all of that back-end. The goal is to make sure that our customers feel good and happy, and at any cost, just making sure that their experience is protected. It's a little ch more challenging for me because I'm dealing with hormonal women who really <laughs> really have no idea what the hell's going on in their life, so they tend to kind of bark at us a little bit more than usual. Um, but at the end of the day, she's always right, and um, what, are, what can we do to just make this experience better for her? It's the same for us, and we always try to inject personal communication into everything we do as well, as we, we have a lot of customers, and it's difficult when there's a screw-up because it will affect thousands of people as well, and so uh, we always try to make sure that one of us and the executive team is always stepping in to, as much as we can talk to customers directly about these things. And even as a percentage of our time, we keep that no matter how big the company goes, that we always have a touch point in being able to do that. Do you, do you have a story of a major screw up and how you dealt with it? <laughs> uh, it's funny. The other day, uh, my wife was on Gap and she found our kids coats for $8 because they had a screw up on their site. And she ended up getting the kids' coats, and she was like, oh, this is great. She's like, what would you guys do if that happened? And I was like, I don't know. And the very next day, we had a mix-up on our site and sold a bunch of inventory for too cheap. <laughs> and I was like, I guess we found out what was going to happen. And we went out there, and we, we tried to make it good with customers and make sure they fulfilled their orders and got through with what they needed. Okay, we're sort yeah. of down. Uh, oh, go ahead. I'll just add one more thing. Like, Social media is a very dangerous weapon that's out there right now for brands like us that you have to be a little fearful of, that you have to make it right because now everybody has a megaphone that they can broadcast those screw-ups to everybody and it's dangerous. You don't want to play with fire with that. So that's why it's worth whatever the cost is to correct those and just create, turn a negative experience into a positive one. Okay, so we're, we're coming up almost on, on two minutes till the end of the session. So we're now into the, the lightning round, the bonus round. So each of these questions is worth 50 points. <laughs> um, role of stores, important, sort of important, critical to your future, go. Um, very important to our future, hasn't been up until now. We've done a lot of work on the e-com side, but for the next phase, it's very important. Critical to the future. I have two now. We're going to roll out a few more in the next 18 months, but not really looking at them just as stores, but as community retail experiences so that we can build the community and sell stuff simultaneously, but not just sell stuff. They're important for us as well. We have seven stores plus our pop-ups, um, and they're a critical touch point to get to know our customers and foster that sense of community. Very difficult to scale. So on the revenue side of the business, they are still a fraction, I think, of what our business does in total. And we're still trying to work out what that model really looks like, that we can take that to the next the step. Stores promote the brand, though, in a way that uh, online stuff only has trouble doing, I think. That's true. Okay, so um, channels. What, what's most effective for you? And is digital getting outrageously expensive? Word of mouth, referral, and depends on the channel. That's, not, that's a non-answer. <laughs> Clarify. Some channels, yes. Some channels, no. Um, are, too ex are, expensive. are too expensive. Okay. Yeah, you who's, have to be who's, what's too expensive? Name names. Oh, I, 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 I Facebook can't. totally. Uh, I, I got in trouble with Facebook for saying it was too expensive, actually. Well, uh, I think a lot of people know is that. He, Facebook is here? Yeah, they probably are. They're everywhere. Okay. With the big paddle <laughs> in the back? Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, uh, social has gotten four times more expensive over the past four years for us. Uh, and so actually we've been shrinking that as percentage, but also we've been going back to traditional media, direct mail, 
um, doing events, a lot of that has been working a lot better than it has been over the past 10 years. And then, of course, the rise of influencers have taken, influencers have taken over a larger percentage of our budget and time, especially as we're attracting younger consumers today. Yeah, I'd say going old school and just building a brand from ground up is going to be the sweet spot that's going to differentiate you from everybody else who's throwing money at it. Okay, final question. Um, lesson learned, best piece of advice, something that um, this audience isn't going to hear anywhere else. Somebody told me this early on, uh, couldn't be more true, is tomorrow is going to be more difficult than today. So anyone that works or you know, started an e-com business or a brand or anything on that, uh, it's super true. Watch out. Yeah, it is true. So to follow that, the best advice I got was um, always have a sense of humor because it just doesn't end. It's a big, big beast. And if I knew then what I knew now, I probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> Uh, for us, the best advice I ever gotten was success breeds success. And so if we ever feel like we're trying to chase after the right idea, it's probably the wrong one. And so we take a step back to try to look at a framework for us to get to the right answer and learn over time. Okay, we're done. Applause. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you.